push the start streaming button. I'm waiting for my cue. Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas, Makalua, the main team, Mega Bears fan. Welcome to the 344th episode of Polycast. I'm, hang on, let me see, I put my name tag down here somewhere. Uh, Q Nagd. Oh, wait, no, that's that's Dan Q. I'm Dan Q, and I'm joined by regular co-hosts. Let me see here. Mega Bears fan. This Dan Q person sounds familiar. Uh, the mean team. Betrayal. And Makawela. No, I mean Makalua. Ha. Huh. <laughs> oh, well, at least this new guy knows how to keep with tradition. <laughs> and regular co-host Candace Albinus. Welcome to the new era where everything is not as good. <laughs> well, I, well, I have to admit, having the audio cues in here, so you're feels like you're inside the episode, like you're listening to the episode, but you're recording the episode is kind of weird. Cool, but weird. Yeah. <laughs> that used to be the case on this show long, long, long ago using previous technology. And now what's old is new again. Indeed. I guess. We did that at one point? Years yes, we ago. did. You must have Years been there, Rocky. It was like <laughs> episode, well, episode 111 or so. Oh, okay. First, if it was just a couple of episodes, I see why my brain is like, what? It was like the first season of, C- or first episode of the first season after Civ Five came out. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. I, I, I vaguely remember it. <laughs> and what do you know? I vaguely remember being on the show. It's been a while. So, now that we've actually started recording things with the audio in play, uh, there's a reason for this. And the reason is, I'm completely overworked, and there's a long list of things that I have to deal with. Um, If you may have noticed, the last couple episodes did come out very late in their intended time frame. There was at least a five-day delay on both of them, which is not ideal for anybody involved, because that means it was a a 12-day wait between recording and release. Which is nonsense. Add to that the fact that the editing is no longer something I can easily do without staying up until 5 in the morning because I'm spending half of my days at the hospital and the other half in the office doing the work that I have to do and I get two hours at home every night. It's very difficult to do five hours of editing. So things are changing here at the Polycast. I didn't want to close the show because it's important to everybody. But I can't do what Dan used to do and what I have been doing for the first part of the year. Things have just changed too much for me. So, Well, I understand needing to make changes like that. When Polycast went to the live format, that was out of my own necessity as well and not wanting to end the show. So the show will adapt as the people behind it adapt. And we continue to sieve on. 
Yay. I will say the production value will probably decrease a little bit because I won't be able to go in there and take out all the ums, ahs, and errs. But well, that actually makes it... Say them. Well, uh, so, you want, so you want us to say them more with more <laughs> emphasis then is what you're saying because they're going to stay in there and you want it to sound like it's purposeful. Okay, I've, ma- I've made that note. Okay. Every episode from now on shall be titled Um, Hmm. It's not going to be that big a deal because I was reading a lot of things about podcasting and there are different types of podcasts based on what they're doing and the po- the professional podcasts are the ones that have to do all the editing to get rid of all that stuff. And last time I checked, we're not a professional podcast. We are a hobbyist podcast. Wait, wait, are you Whoa. saying that we're not getting a 10% raise this year? I'll give you a 100% raise this year, but it's not going to mean anything. Oh, okay. That's I used to 10%. give you more... Phil, Phil, no, I used to give strike. you... Like, I don't know what this is. I used to give a lot more meaningless raises than this, at higher percentages with even less output. And... Well, yeah, but that was due to the conditions of the show at the time. Ah, oh, man, I don't know. And you know, math, X percent of zero is still zero. Thank yeah, you, Professor Mackey. <laughs> That's right. We needed I a professor for, professor for that, a fake professor at that, but we needed a professor to point that out to us. Oh, dear. Okay. I wonder which of us did the most math back in our days. Probably you, because you did yeah. business and economic stuff. Oh, I, the harder stuff was when I was still in engineering, though. Oh well, one hundred percent. Okay, yeah. Well, you've one hundred percent. You've done more than I mean. I did computer science, but that's more theoretical Mm -hmm. math than actual math. Okay. I mean, I don't know what's in that. So computer science is basically you take all of the words that do something in computer talk and you make them into a math equation. So a lot less numbers and a lot more letters. I think we should all get T-shirts. We should all get T-shirts that say "math." Been there, done that. It's kind of like accounting in that way, where accounting is actually all law, but then you, you do some basic math in, in applying it, and people think it's all math for some reason. Doing the Minimax algorithm was fun. That was a lot of math. But anyway, there you go. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> Sorry for the distraction. So the best distraction is a bunch of giant real world maps. <clears throat> this is over on Polygon. As uh, one of their editors is really, really, it's called the Joy of Civilization Six Giant Real World Maps. Because now that we do have the World Builder, now the map makers can really get going. So expect every fantasy series ever to have their maps in soon. Uh, probably expect more detailed real world maps and. <clears throat> You know, more focused. Like, let me give you the map of my country with actual details instead of the five hexes it takes up on a sub map. You know, that kind of thing. I'm yeah, still he's... looking forward to going to World Builder and put iron beside my capital when I don't have it, so I don't uh, have to find it. That would be great. I don't think that works in multiplayer. Well, have we tried it? <laughs> Wait, what did you say? Forward settle, Dan. Okay. Uh huh. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm going to add iron to myself and take the iron away from you. And you can forget about niter and oil and, oh, and you can forget about diamonds too. No more diamonds. Yeah. This, this is why we forward settle and rush out Dan then. Cause then we have those resources again. Oh, that's, you're going to oh. say, this is why they got rid of world builder from book. that too. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, all right. It's Fair all enough. Dan's fault. 
No way. In responsible hands, World Builder was the only way to make organized MP games fair back in the day. I mean, Dan is actually mentioned in the article and quoted. Did they actually fix his byline, though? Hmm. Because when it first came out, it said he was <coughs> is the host of Polycast, and on this list, it still says that. Yes, well, I have. He, he is technically a host at the moment, isn't he? <laughs> it says he is a host of, not. Yeah, it the, didn't say yeah. he's lead co host or, or something. It just mentioned he's been writing blogs and podcasting about Civ for t- the past 20 years, which accurate. Which is true because of One More Turn. One More Turn. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And it does say that I am a host of Polycast. Yes, it never actually said that I am a regular co-host or was a regular co-host, and I am a host on the episode that we're talking about it. So technically, <laughs> yeah. But yes, I was approached. Not wrong. Yes, <laughs> I, I was approached by the author of this article, Colin Campbell, to talk about this and the introduction of World Builder and maps. And I'm going to quote myself. This is fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I like this. I like this. I've been waiting for this for so long, and I just had to become a guest in order to be able to do it. <laughs> it was, oh, it was, dear. Dan Tebow, who now no longer fits in Canada. <laughs> it's the long play. It was the, it was the long play. Um, I had said that the most important thing about maps is replayability. A randomly generated map is different every time, but a handcrafted map is always the same shape. But you can play as different civilizations or start in different locations or give yourself different challenges. Even though it's the same map, the players are different. They have different strengths and weaknesses based on where they're starting or the actions they take. Even if you're the same civilization and you're in the same spot again and again, you can make different choices based on where you settle and who you decide to fight in wars. And yes, who you decide to fight in wars, that means when you play civilization, if you're playing civilization properly, you will fight in a war. Uh, wait, what? Yes. That, that... <laughs> Dan is correct. Oh, dear. I can tell because he agrees with me. <laughs> But And I also said, and it was alluded to earlier in talking about this, that really people are just scratching the surface of the capability of World Builder. I think it's probably going to take the better part of a year to be able to see its real potential. I haven't heard uh, from the Modcast guys about it yet, but I think they're pretty happy with it. Yeah, I would expect so. I think it's also going to make it easier for people to jump into modding if they want to, when they know it's something that's officially supported number one, and it's something that they can get ready access to. And it's not like I have to go back to school to learn to how to mod this. <laughs> you know, it's like, I need, what software do I need to do? And do I need to read a guide? I mean, you can always read a guide if you want, but I think it makes it more accessible for people who want to do something simple to test the waters. And if they get comfortable with that, then maybe they'll create their own mods or they'll join an existing mod on something. And even though I play very few mods, I actually haven't played any for Civilization VI. And now that Canada is the game, why would I even bother? Ha, huh, kidding. Um, and it's just making the longevity of the game that much more while we wait for whatever the next thing is. Which is oh, to actually be a good sim to play. Oh, I'm sorry. The next thing, and this is a brief aside because we're probably going to talk about it on the next episode, which I will not be on, and this will probably guarantee that I will not be on the next episode. Sorry, the next Civilization Seven is actually humankind. Sorry. Uh, sorry, I, 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 <laughs> sorry. Uh, I, I, I jumped the gun there a little bit. My bad. <laughs> there is a reason we're not talking about that today, and that is because it's not been out announced long enough for us to have made a full decision about it. So, expect that discussion in two weeks. Uh, this article also talked to an quote-unquote actual modder of Civ, uh, but it also talked about Campbell's own experience with real-world maps. 
And it's it's a nice addition to the game. And I think a lot of people would agree, where was that when the game first came out? But uh, better late than never. A good question. I think it was probably in the, you know, let's make sure the game actually works pile before we worry about this. I don't know, I don't know why it took two DLCs to do it, but... <laughs> uh, uh, the game isn't quite working yet. Hey, let's let's release the world builder. We'll make the modders fix it for us. Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> they were trying to avoid that situation, but also maybe they knew how many DLC they wanted to do and wanted to make sure they had support for most things first. I don't know. Just a theory. Yeah, I mean, I said I'm very much assuming it is more user friendly than what you would have to do before that in order to do much oh, of anything. With yeah, if it's like back. what I remember originally from Civ Five, yeah, they had to basically crack into the EXE or something to make modding available early on before an official thing was official. Official thing was officially given. Yeah, there, there's a good there's a good sentence in English. I'm sorry, <laughs> I thought you were saying before the official thing was a fish, and I was thinking, wow, this is. <laughs> We're, we're going, I mean, you know, the earth is mostly water, so I think I go, I get where Mackie's going with this. Okay, uh, the official thing is mostly fish. Yeah, I'm like, what kind of fish? Is it grilled? Yeah, is it baked? Is it fried? Yes. You know. I think Dan needs to have lunch soon. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. No one else smells that burning fish? What a tasty treat. <clears throat> yeah, but the... the threshold for being able to mod anything much less just a simple map in the world builder was higher in the beginning of Civ 5 and it has been until now because only see people who had dedicated programming skills basically could make tools to get in to change maps but now we have world builder and anybody who's got some spare time and a little bit of patience could build a map of a map of their own maybe a map of somewhere near where they live you know people want more higher detail maps of certain areas of the world uh, maybe somebody wants to do an islands map for like the South Pacific or, you know, all sorts of things are now open because th there's always this threshold or <clears throat> not the threshold is not the right word, but there's like a certain amount of technical, there was performing a certain amount of technical ability versus the kind of people who would have the diverse and maybe a little bit more obscure interests in historical places who maybe wanted to make a map, but didn't have the technical skills. Now the world builders here, I, I haven't used it, so I don't know if it's ease of use, but it's still easier than what you would have had to do to make a map prior to a few weeks ago. I think you're getting a barrier to entry. Thank you. Uh, a big difference, you know, is from what I recall in Civ Five, you actually had to have a separate application in order to do any modding at all, whether it was the, the map builder or the, the fire tuner. And uh, now it's just in the game. So, like, everybody can see it, you know, whereas before, like, you kind of had to know that those tools were there you know, to go looking for them and download them and install them and then run them. Whereas now it's just, oh, you boot up the game, you're going through the menus. Hey, what's this world builder thing? Oh my gosh, now there's a new modder out there. Yeah, like it was in Civilization 4, as I recall. This is a much better integration of this program. Well, in Civ 4, you could do it during a game. <laughs> exactly. yeah, it's kind of like, uh, that's not problematic. W. Yeah, what was it? Control W, I think, or something like that. And it would just bring up the map builder in the middle of a game. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah I do want iron. <laughs> exactly thank you That's the, yeah. i didn't spawn with iron oh now i did <laughs> i don't think you can do that in civ 6 i think no you have, to, you have to be outside of a game to do it. and if people listening are thinking oh i don't have time to make a mod for myself then you can make the mod for canis because he doesn't have the time 
Uh, well, <laughs> I, I'm glad that my inability to enjoy myself in regular life is now a funny joke. But And also another note is that uh, if you actually have the foresight to like somehow record the random seed and map seed of every game you start up, you could, I think, actually take that random seed and import it into the map builder and then modify a map. So if there's a map that you like, uh, a randomly generated map, and you just you know are like, oh, I just want to change a few things, you know, that might make this more interesting, uh, you can do that. It is nice in the game setup right from the beginning that it will tell you the seed of the map, yes, as opposed to having to try to figure it out through some other means. So, hey, talk about replayability and I, making some different choices. I do really wish that you could still see that once the game has begun. Like, I wish they would just, like, list that along with, like, all the other map settings and, you know, game options. Uh, so there's something for access for you to do for the next patch, maybe. Because there are times where you start a game and then you realize, oh, I really like this map. I want to, you know play this map again with like a different starting position or uh whatever but you can't and they don't even have the turn zero save anymore like i really miss that from civ 5 they don't i thought they still did have that i don't ever see it unless it's like hidden in a different place i don't think so i think they just keep the last x number of auto saves and there is no turn one or turn zero save i could be wrong about that i don't know someone correct me if i am no, I don't think there is a turn zero autosave anymore. When you have the autosave on for every turn, I think the first one is one. Right, but then if, if it's every five turns or whatever, by the time you get up to turn six or seven, that turn one save is gone. Whereas in Civ 5, and I think also in Civ 4, like they just kept it. Like It was always there yeah. for every game you played. Yes, definitely Civ 4. In Civ 5, it was the, the le most recent new game you played. It was kept. I mean, there's also the, with the autosave, if you go into the directory, there's also the PREV for the previous folder. So you could have not your most recent game, but the most recent game before that, it will also have whatever were the last set of autosaves in there. But yes, if you're looking for something back on turn zero or turn one, and you've progressed all the way to turn 50, 70, whatever, then even if it was the game before the game that you last played, that autosave is going to be long gone. Which is a shame. I think what Firaxis is saying, you got to stop living in the past. Yeah, no more safes coming. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 I just, more, I, I no more far back saves coming. I have to conscious effort from now on to, to save that turn zero autosave. Because, you know, I, I write those strategy guides for the blog, and I keep forgetting to do that. And there are so many situations where I'm like, oh, I, I want to go back and try something different. And I just... I used to be able to do it trivially with Civ 5 and in Civ 6, I need to go out of my way to make sure that I remember to allow myself to do that. Is this the, is this the part of the show where we plug MegaBearsFan.net? Sure, MegaBearsFan.net. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's perfectly fair to mention it because it's .net. Only .nets. Only is .net. that actually the website? Yes, it is. Oh, cool. <laughs> I did not know the actual <laughs> website. Can't have thought I was just like, making it up. <laughs> he thought he was just going back to the polycast.net joke. Thank you, Mackie. <laughs> I, I like that when people are listening to a show. Or you, you know when you're watching a television show and there's an advertisement, particularly if it's on demand uh, on, a, like on a cable service and they advertise the show that you are currently watching and it's like, really? I had no oh, idea. I had no idea. <laughs> All Wait. the time. What the hell? <laughs> I Wait, you still it. watch TV? 
I always enjoy it. Well, <clears throat> I don't watch TV myself, but I have to spend time with my grandma sometimes, and she likes to watch Food Network. And uh, a lot of times they'll just be like, oh, Restaurant Impossible commercial. Oh, Restaurant Impossible commercial. Oh, we're watching Restaurant Impossible. Uh. Well, <laughs> well, even if you don't watch it on your TV, if you watch it on your computer, your tablet or whatever, on those traditional television uh, networks and they put them on their website and you can watch them, those ads, they're, they're advertising the show you're currently watching probably at least once. It's like, really? It, so there we go. It becomes oppressive right? when it's when it's uh 15 to 30 percent of the advertisement block is the show you're already watching yeah hey folks did you know you're listening to the polycast.net seems pretty inefficient uh use of (laughs) advertising funds too or a translation we couldn't sell this spot to an advertiser so we're just going to plug our own stuff even if it's exactly what you're watching because the intern in charge of this just put a rotation of ads in because they're like i don't get paid for this I totally I get self-promotion when you can't sell the space, but promote another show at least. I know that cable television and network television even will very frequently, well, at least in my experience, every time you have a commercial break, the first commercial after the exit and the first commercial after the exit or for the return are network-based stuff. Yeah, the fast forward on my DVR is perfectly set to where I just go one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, look, I just skipped all the commercials. Were we talking about Civ at one point? Yeah, Speaking we were. of skipping, I don't know. <laughs> there it's is no transition audio us cue. to the next topic. There are no mark. audio cues between topics. Ah, <laughs> oh, dang it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Except for Dan's uh, segue. Well, I could put them in, but I just wanted to try and not flood the channel. Oh, I guess. Oh, I see. Um, well, as long as we build a, as long as we build a canal, we'll be okay. I, uh, this isn't the one I would want to use. Speaking of flooding the channel, to transition to. Yeah. So uh, we just won't do that. Um, article from PC Gaming: Mozambique Peace Accord signing featured in uh, featured Civ Force theme song. So this is a, a good bit of real life news. Although it's unfortunate it was an issue in the first place, but it's good news. Uh, Mozambique did sign a peace accord, IRL, and uh, they played Baba Yetu from uh, C4's intro by uh, Christopher Tin uh, during that, which is kind of cool. It looked like they actually had like an orchestra playing it on site. Yeah. Which to me is pretty amazing. Yes, yes. The the person who tweeted about this, the Stephen Glover, who, according to his Twitter account, is a development economist in agriculture in Mozambique. Well, the signing took place, an orchestra and choir performed a song called Baba Yetu, a game that didn't reference Civilization Four, saying a game that is generally not associated with peace, but conquest and warfare. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> but the song is literally the most peaceful song out there. So. Yeah, the song yeah. itself is peaceful, even though even though it's associated to a warlike game. <laughs> I mean, in principle, Civ Four doesn't have to be war, but I never fought. Yeah. I didn't do conquest in Civ Four, but I also played on Settler. So, <sighs> but apparently, they've been having military violence since 1993. So, yeah. It's really yeah. nice to see this happen. They, there are missionaries from our church that are living there and working. So 
know, we know people who are there, and it's been dangerous for them. It's always nice when a a slice of something from entertainment can be used for something that is anything but entertainment in an appropriate and a positive way, including the fact that this was on social media. It was something positive on social media. There's I'm no all for that. Thing. Wow. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> yeah, sure this is. Is an this is an example of that, but it is few and far between. Just like accords like this in real life are few and far between, so it is something worth celebrating. Well, there was one in Colombia a little while ago. That one was pretty good, too. But they didn't play Baba Yetu, so... Well, it didn't make sense for them to, because it's not in Swahili. Or because it, it, is, it is in Swahili, and they don't speak it. I could have translated it. <laughs> I have no idea. Could do a lot of things. I imagine, reaching. <laughs> I imagine if it was in Spanish, they would have had a choice. But then again, I bet there's not a whole lot of Swahili modern music out there. I may be showing my ignorance of Africa, but um, I don't know. I, I, I've never heard of, a, of any other Swahili song that has modern instrumentation, but I've also never looked. So, um, yeah, I'm going to look like an idiot in about a week. Uh, you just have to like, find out that technically they have you or something and then just rest on that and you'll be okay. I mean, the population of Swahili speakers is lower, so I don't yeah. know. I also don't know the names of any. I don't know the names of any Japanese or uh, Spanish songs either. So, although to be fair, I don't know any of any German or British either. I actually know very little about music that isn't directly related to video games. I was going to say you probably knew the title of a Korean song, but no, no, Candace and pop culture, not necessarily. Well, I, I do know Gangnam Style. But okay, you did. You know, yeah. I, I was going to say that, and then I thought, <laughs> no, I'm going to I'm going to stay silent. I'm going to stay silent. I already did a really awkward segue into this topic. Maybe I should just stay out of it. I don't think they would play that at a piece of card. Although, <laughs> although they played it amazing. at the Olympics. Come on. <laughs> Well, other things they've played at the Olympics, in Olympics include the Borat version of the Kazakh national anthem. <laughs> yeah, so. that was a little... Speaking of awkward. <laughs> was it Kazakh or was it Uzbek? Hmm, I don't it might remember. have been Uzbek. I don't remember yeah. which country he's supposed to have been from. No, it's, I think Kazakhstan, but... That sounds right, yes. Can, can I haven't say... actually seen the movie, so I don't know. <clears throat> I thought it was a fictional country. No, it's real. <laughs> it's it's a real country, and the tourism industry there boomed because of that movie. And for a little while, they were very upset, and then they realized, hey, wait a minute, we're making money from this. Just go yeah. with it. People know we exist now, and we get tourism money. Just shut up and go along with it. This is episode going to be titled, Paul, episode 344, Back to School. We need to just shut up and go with it. <laughs> we need to learn some things. <laughs> I'm gonna mark that down. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, like, mm. just shut up and go with it. Oh, I thought it was gonna be back to school. Okay, <laughs> that's probably more co-host bias. 
Well, they may not be going back to school, but uh, top strategy game devs are going to PAX West at the end of the month. And there, Rock Paper Shotgun is planning on doing an interview with Ed Beach, the lead designer of Civilization VI. So, you know, watch out for that. Yeah, I, I like how it's Ed is mentioned alongside uh, some other people, uh, including the narrative director for a certain game I might have referred to earlier that's not being talked about on this episode. And it's just since we're going to be interviewing a panel of strategy gaming's leading lights, I, I just I just want to troll this and be when the panel starts. We didn't actually say we we're going to talk to them about games. We were just bringing them together to talk about other things. So Coke or Pepsi. <laughs> 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 I, I'm most surprised that they they called in somebody from Imperator Rome instead of from a better game that for, 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 that Paradox does. I mean, Imperator I Rome. It's all the things they're planning on fixing. Imperator Rome is widely known as the worst Paradox interactive title game ever because it was just that bad. Yeah, it was a pretty rough release. While my understanding, it's still well, bad. I mean, Maybe he's going to talk about lessons learned. The music was DLC. I mean, how bad can you get? That's just uh, being greedy. That has nothing to do with the quality of the game. Oh, well, the quality of the game is bad, the game too. Worse. It was like EU4, <laughs> yeah. but minus all the features and uses, using the old version of the Monarch Point system that had actually less ways to influence it than, it did, than EU4 did at the beginning. Yeah, it's pretty rough. I didn't actually two, get it. There were two other things I got from this development. First off was frowny face when I read the word Firefly and it wasn't in the context that I wanted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> second of all, this interview, these interviews are going to be conducted by Ghostus, supposedly their f- first fully spectral staff writer. But my favorite part about what he's doing is not interviewing it, where it says on Monday he'll be challenging artists, designers, and passing strangers to beat him at drawing freehand at MS Paint. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I don't know why I want to see that. <laughs> uh, I Seeing capable artists reduced to MS Paint is what you want to see? Come for the Microsoft Paint tournament. Stay for the developer interviews. Maybe. There you go. I mean, it's not like they're also doing a a, a Dwarf Fortress playthrough with its creator and... Mm discussing the erotic world of vampires or discussing the history of Jason Statham in video games. Mackie heard Darth Archer. (laughs) (laughs) Actually getting Cody to play his own game. Hell, hold up a minute. (laughs) That last one sounds like a very, very important uh, topic in the field of video games. (laughs) Jason Statham in games. Uh... I'll pretend I'll know who that is. This is some seriously academic stuff now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have no idea what Ed Beach is actually going to be talking about. This announcement doesn't, I don't think, say anything about uh, the, his topic. So I have no idea if he's going to be talking about Civ or about strategy gaming in general or other projects that he may have or is or will be working on. I, I'm not seeing any of that. In yes. The- nope. Yes. I was going to say, having been to multiple of this type of convention... Not gaming specifically, but conventions involving panels of, of people across the industry of any kind of industry, 
although in my case it was more to do with animal health issues. But usually they talk in general terms about their strategies and their ways of dealing with problems. Specifically, they're most likely going to be answering questions like, uh, why do you do do this in your game while these other guys do something else? And probably doing a post-mortem for some of the games they've recently released kind of a thing. What do you the think public the, version without all the other things that went wrong they can't tell us about. Like and other things like what is the most important thing that you do you think of when you're designing games or things of that nature that sa- that make it sound a lot more interesting if you actually know what they're talking about and if you don't you're just like just show me new stuff. There's yeah, a reason it's... why these panels are the, are not exactly the most attended things at those conventions. So, <laughs> yeah, this isn't uh, E3. They're not going to be showing trailers for new games or expansion packs or anything like that. It's uh, it's all like informative <laughs> stuff. Well, so you you've got to be into into it to you know appreciate it. They might, but probably not during an interview panel. Right. That's that's what I meant. E3 oh. is kind of more showing off for people outside the industry and the packs things tend to be more for people inside the industry maybe. Kind of it's seems like more it, industry focused. E3 seems to be more interested in in shareholder uh what what would you call it? shareholder management keeping the 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 big companies shareholders saying oh, okay we're <clears> getting <throat> we're getting our money's worth. Come to E3 see all the cool things we're allegedly developing and spending your money on. Yeah, and then they just pay a bunch of people to attend and cheer at everything so that it sounds like these games are going to be a lot more popular than they actually will be. Don't all you guys own phones, her? (laughs) (laughs) I remember when that was a good company. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Except, of course, when companies like Blizzard come up to talk about their like mobile StarCraft game and people legitimately ask them if this is an April Fool's joke. (laughs) That was so great. (laughs) That was. That was classic. I mean, things have really changed. Epic used to be a good company. That's true. A long time ago, before they got yeah. bought by the Chinese government and started stealing data and everything else. Yeah, I pretty much only care about EA or uh, E3 for the uh, Devolver yeah, Digital. Did you start? Uh, did you say EA? All of the above, it still applies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I I watched the Devolver Digital thing, and that's like about the only thing from E3 that I uh, give a dang about anymore. I read the postmortem because it's more interesting and less time wasted. Well, I mean, that's basically what the Devolver Digital press conference is. It's all it's satire about the conference that they're currently at. So, good stuff. <laughs> Ed, do you have any comment about the report that Fraxis coders drink cola instead of iced tea, like they do over at Paradox? Do you want to comment? No. Okay. Your coding, I, department, your coding department doesn't run on straight IVs of caffeine. What? I, I'm lowering your expectations from the panel, so whatever they do end up talking about, you will be impressed. You're, you're welcome, Internet. I, I, I self thank myself. Maybe we'll find out what the paradox people are actually drinking because I'm not so sure it is cola or tea. <laughs> well, maybe it's old school 1910 Coca Cola. Yeah, well, that's uh, yeah, that would that would explain some things. Yes. <laughs> 
Or maybe they cracked open some old bottles of that Crystal Pepsi that's no longer Crystal. It's objectively the best drink <laughs> that was ever made, was Crystal Pepsi. Speaking <laughs> of Coke and Crystal Meth. Okay. Was that segue a comment on me personally? Seeing as how I'm introducing this topic, was this was that was that a reference to the topic, or was that a reference to the fact that this, this segment is called Senate? Is this, yeah. a, is this a political conversation now? <laughs> I'm like, or which way am I going with this? Or Kenneth just wanted to stop us before the ESRB intervenes? Uh, uh, any and all yes. of the above? Yes, that's just the answer. Yes. I mean. They, they, they already answered the question. <laughs> they they sent out the the wh- what was it? This is the oh I forget. Hmm. So this unique <laughs> just I'm just going on. All right. Uh, so this is the unique unit elimination thread. Speaking of eliminating, wait no, we'll do that after the show. The unique uh, unit <laughs> elimination thread started by Kmart Elvis. And I thought, ooh, Elvis is now sponsored by Kmart. That's where he's been all these years. He's been at Kmart. Ah, okay. Elvis, like Kmart, explain why nobody's seen him. Because <laughs> no one goes to Kmart. <laughs> yeah, they put him in the back stock room, forgot he was there. He's been the Kmart mall Santa. Wow. <laughs> oh, hey, little boys and girls. Um, <laughs> well, we can scratch Kmart off the list of companies that'll sponsor this show now. You're welcome. Not like they could afford it anyway. <laughs> I don't think they were ever on that list. Not since this show has started. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't afford it since the show has started. Yeah, <laughs> they were never not not on the list. Uh, but anyway, the unique unit elimination thread started by Kmart Elvis on the 30th of July. Only strength of units and usefulness is compared. You were to vote once every 24 hours. You could add one point to a unit, take away three points from a different unit. You had to give a reason for your vote. Posts without reasons will not be counted until a reason is added. And voting for the same unit several times was not forbidden, however, to try to spread your votes around and be fair in your assessments. And I changed all of this from the active tense to the passive tense because this thread is now complete. It was felt by Elvis that it was time to do another one of these threads following the release of Gathering Storm. And the top tier unique units from actually number eight to number one. And I do thank Candace for giving me this topic because things are ranked and I get to name numbers. Uh, the Janissary, the Jong, the Hatori, probably mispronouncing that. But anyway, the Legion, the Eagle Warrior, the Warcart, uh, the Tawa, Tawa Tawa, and the, the Patai Archer for Nubia has been ranked as the best unique unit and by that i mean based on their strength of their units and the usefulness is compared so i think the idea is you're not just talking about the unit in and of itself but in comparison to the other units as well when of course you could only play as one civilization within a given game of civ and if you were really focusing on a unique unit which one would you want on your side or and or which would you not want to see in terms of your opponents I'm cringing a little bit because of the pronunciation of a couple of those. I know, I know. Patyroy. Patyroy, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I, I knew I was missing a T in there. Anyway. Although the most interesting thing is what... Oh my goodness. Are you alright? I heard something in the background. 
Sounded like a UFO just landed in Canis's home. It's the lawnmower. Go on without me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I still want to make a reference to a certain turncast player, but I'll... <laughs> Your ass is grass. I'm a lawnmower. You're welcome, Jonah Falcon, wherever you are. Um, <laughs> uh, but then he also put it into upper tier, above average tier, below average tier, lower tier, and bottom tier. And I'm looking at this list, and actually my first reaction was, what? War carts aren't first? Are you kidding me? But then I started thinking about more of the particularness of it, which was not just, again, the strength of the units, but the usefulness as compared. I mean, you're also to take into account the range and the cost of the units and the availability of whether it can evolve from earlier units and into later units. And we know that we've talked about before on this show how certain unique units, once you upgrade them, they lose their certain abilities. And I thought, okay, okay. I don't know, Candice, how detailed you want us to go into any one of these. We just got to focus on the, the top eight here. Is it just kind of a free-for-all for how come this isn't higher or this isn't lower i was thinking anything specific we thought was notable in terms of placement and then top tier and bottom tier um general overviews okay well i i part of me wants to fault the nubian unique unit as being first on this list because i'm like yeah war cart yeah but no no <clears throat> having i had a recent game as Nubia, how useful those units were mm -hmm. for an extended period of time as compared to the war cart, which is if, if you've got a neighbor right there and you can rush them, that's fantastic. But very quickly that starts to trail off in terms of its uh, usefulness. Whereas the archer with its speed and because of its speed, it can get into more uh, engagements and it can get more promotions and it can extend its usefulness. I'm like, okay, Okay, I totally understand that being being first. And I, but with the second one, with the Morai unit on there, I had to do a little research on that because I'm like, wait a minute, I haven't seen a lot of, of that one. But the fact that it reduces the combat strength of adjacent enemy units by five... So it's okay. It's one of yeah. those. Yeah, it's one of those things <laughs> where, okay, it's more about what they do to the other units as opposed to what it does itself. It's not necessarily that the Toa is really good, but it makes all of your other units better. And plus that effect matters like the entire game. In addition right. to immediately. It, it's very good immediately, but it just stays good. And timing and timing wise, because it's just further enough along that you have time to build a little bit of a couple of cities and some infrastructure so you can churn them out faster. And it comes in at a spot where you know where your neighbors are, and even if they're not right next to you, you know you could go attack them. And they're strong enough against the other things that are coming around about the same time, plus that extra bit of the, the minus five strength, that you're going to have an easier time of going through people, and they last a really long time. Because you're going to almost, and then you turn them to musketmen, and they're still fun. Yeah, and they're also a sword replacement that does not require iron. Yes. So that's always uh, always good when you've got a unique unit that uh, you know doesn't require the resource. Yeah. Particularly the recent changes where some of these unique units do require the strategic resources now, and others don't. So that actually stands out even more than it used to otherwise, which is also the same for the archer and the war card. 
Yeah, and I would like to say about the uh, the Batati Archer and the Warcart is, uh, if I remember correctly, the Warcart is pretty expensive to build, whereas the Batati Archers, because of Nubia's like leader and civilization abilities, is really quick and cheap to build. So you can build a lot of those archers uh, and will only be able to build a few war carts with Samaria. So I think that might be also part of what elevates the uh, archer ab above them because the, the they're so much more usefulness because you can spam them so much more. I mean, regardless of whether you were, say, Nubia or Samaria, you could also, I mean, there are certain policies that will allow you to increase the speed of, of what you're producing. However, however, and Nubia has those additional production Plus the fact that when you're looking at the class of unit that work, uh, the war carts are, they actually don't fall under that very early one that allows you to the additional production on, on the melee units and um, siege and whatever the other two ones. I'm forgetting what they are. Uh, awful, I know. But it doesn't fall under that. So yes, you're able to get out they more will. of them and they're cheaper. Yes. And they don't come that much. I mean, yes, okay, war carts are there from the beginning. A war cart is a fantastic scout, by the way. Even if there's nobody around or you're trying to find somebody, having one of those is a, is a fantastic scout, plus the fact that, hey, congratulations, plus four error score. Uh, but then if you find somebody, then it's, okay, let's take them out right now. And you don't need that many, particularly before walls. You catch them early on. You can just go right for the city, whereas the archer themselves... The archer is good against the city, but it's also very good against the units as well. I mean, yes, you're going to need at least one melee unit to accompany those archers, but I think it almost because it forces you to have combined arms in order to take a city, it it's less, oh, uh, you know, all I've got are war carts, and I really need something else to continue this push. I think it just forces you to build a little bit better in terms of, of an early army, but my gosh, situationally stuff. Uh, I guess if we look next at the Eagle Warrior, I mean, I, was, I talked about error score. Hey, guess what? You just started the game turn zero plus four error score because you air corp spilt one. Um, Which is great, unless you wanted that uh, ancient era dark age so you could get that classical era heroic age. Well, and then again, in that case, it's like, well, I guess I'm just not going to explore this game because I just want to sit and hope nobody finds me so I don't get more error score. Um, the fact that they can capture defeated enemy units, turning them into builders for the Aztecs, that is fantastic it's a lot better than strong <laughs> wow well and the fact that you can use those builders to rush districts so the builder has more utility as well yeah yes that too that is it is fantastic yeah, they've been widely regarded as a top tier civ because of that ability for a long they time. are however one of those together. frustrating units though because the capturing of the builder is random so like uh, it's up to the you know rng gods whether you actually get that builder or not you know you can always have those game uh those games where you're killing enemy units left and right with your eagle warriors but it's just not giving you the builders that can be frustrating yeah i mean it, it's consistent strength is the fact that it is higher combat strength than the warrior that it replaces and you get it from the very beginning of the game so it's similar in that respect to the Sumerian war cart, just not as strong and, of course, not as fast. And then you combine that with the Aztecs' abilities, where they get higher combat strength from having uh, luxuries, and those eagle warriors are pretty beastly. Number five on the list is the Roman Legion. And of course, as of the Gathering Storm expansion, this does require iron to train. Um, it does have 
uh, greater combat strength. You can construct a fort with it. Uh, it can clear terrain, uh, which consumes the build charge, although it's lost on upgrade to musketmen. Um, this one, like I, I understand it is, it is stronger. It's uh, 40 combat strength instead of 36. It does have a higher production cost. I think this is ranked a little... I still think it's a very good unit. I think it's ranked a little high as compared to some of the other ones that are on this top tier list, but it's still very good. It's just, I mean, part of it is also, oh, but you're not the Legion from previous Civ games, which of course I know was not a fair comparison, but I don't know, maybe if forts were a better thing, I mean, they can be very good, a fortification, if you have a particular choke point, um, but other, other than that, it's, I find it's a very situational, but still very good unique unit. I just don't consider it an excellent unique unit. The Civ Six map generator does make a lot of mountain ranges and a lot of uh, choke points, so uh, I can definitely see that you know forts can be high valued. It's more of just a matter of are those choke points occurring in positions that are strategically valuable or practical for you to fortify. So it really comes down to same with the Toa from the uh, Maori is uh, how much do you value forts? Because those two units give you forts uh, with swordsmen, which is way earlier than when you would get it otherwise you got to wait till the end of the renaissance to uh, be able to build forts normally and then you got to have an encampment uh and build a, a military engineer and you know i i think part of the reason why forts aren't good in civ 6 is because of the barrier of entry to get them so if you value forts then both the toa and the legion are very good units because they give you early access to something way earlier than everyone else gets them I would much rather have the um, Macedonian unique unit that replaces the Horseman. Horseman. I'm just going to call it the H unit. I'm not going to try to... <laughs> I'm just going to call it H. It is so awesome. It is one of the 26 letters of the alphabet now. It is the H unit. Uh, yes, it's a higher production cost, but it gives additional combat strength and adjacent to a great general. And of course, a great general is already going to give you additional combat strength. And then you get more great general points from kills, but gets you more great generals, which can allow you to field even more of these units because a great general only has you know, so many hexes of influence. Plus, it can also be pesky when your great general gets ejected in the middle of a war and you've got another one there that's right there. It also start, This unit also starts with a free promotion. It ignores enemy zone of control. It's one of those things where, oh, hey, I'm Macedon. You know what? I am going to construct a mounted unit. Is the general consensus still that uh, mounted, units, uh, mounted units are the uh, best units in the game? Or has that changed since uh, the, you know, uh, what was it? The buffs to city defenses and nerfs to mounted units. I never felt like mounted were yes quite that at that tier. No, I, I haven't felt the that mounted units have been the best in terms of units since Civilization Four. In Civilization Six, I think they are excellent pillagers, and they can be good at picking off particular units. And maybe it's a different experience in a multiplayer circumstance where you're playing with a human, but against the artificial intelligence, give me a melee unique unit over a mounted one most of the time. However, in this case, because of all of the combination of things that you get with a great general, which I hope you're probably pushing to generate anyway, and you can get that early with early encampments, plus that early policy that can give you great general points. And if you're thinking about building an army, then you must have something that you can go for. So the fact that 
these units can use great generals, which helps you get more great generals, and <laughs> it, it, it improves their their ability even further and and gaining the promotions etc i think it works really well in that case but no no i would yeah generally prefer a melee one but this is one of those exceptions that i understand it being top tier i've just not often messed it on i random in my games and i don't get it very often but when i do i'd be all over this i guess yeah it's a horseman upgrade and not a knight upgrade yes big difference yes i mean of course they can be upgraded into knights and that's also good, which extends their their livelihood. Well, no, I think it would upgrade to the uh, Courser now, because it's a light cavalry unit, isn't it? The Horseman? Yeah. If it's a Horseman, then yes, it would go to Coursers. Oh, yeah, yes. Uh, number seven on the list is the Jong from Indonesia. Of course, it replaces the frigate and is unlocked with mercenary as a civic as opposed to a tech. Yes, there's the higher production cost, but it's minimal. It's got higher movement. It's five versus four. You get the bin formation. It gets plus five combat strength and shares its movement with all units in the formation and no strategic resource requirement. I mean, frigates themselves are fantastic on the seas. And once you get to that point, it's... Mm, you know, if I have stuff on the coast or I can bombard stuff from the coast, at least frigates are absolutely fantastic to have. And this one is even better because of that higher movement and that greater combat strength, which will then increase the likelihood that it is going to be able to get those victories against the cities, against units, more promotions, more great generals. Um, and if you've also got any land units in formation with it, it can take advantage of that fast movement, which is also increasing its combat strength, which is fantastic. Uh, number eight on the list is Janissaries, and I hear Janissaries, and of course I think about the Ottomans, and I start thinking of Europa Universalis more, even though I've never played the game. I don't know why, why that is, but... <laughs> <laughs> something, something kebab. Yeah, their reputation in that game is well deserved. They are very difficult to deal with, unless you're experienced. <laughs> At least they have Janissary decadence. Yeah, which never. Let's not go into it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not meaningful, but <laughs> uh, it replaces the musketman and requires ten nighter to train. But it does start with a free promotion. It has higher combat strength. It even has lower production cost. Can only be trained in cities with a population of two or more is not a particular concern. If you have a lot of cities that have less than a population of two, well, you've got greater problems than not being able to construct the Janissary. Uh, yeah, at that point in the game, even cities that you just captured are going to have more than two population. Yeah. I guess the only thing that it stops you from doing is like, plopping a new city on the coast of another continent and then using that to spam out, you know, Janissaries. And of course, because it replaces a, a musketman, you could have yourself lined up with some swordsmen getting ready to upgrade once you get gunpowder. And then there's the policy that will reduce the strategic resource requirement as well as the gold cost. And even if you don't have that, the fact that you can construct Janissaries considerably cheaper and they have all of these pluses on top of it 
if you are the Ottomans and you are not using this unit, you are missing out. Well, in general, if you're any Civ and you're not using their unique unit, you're missing out. But especially true for this one. Mm hmm. Okay. Uh, just maybe we'll move on to the upper tier and then see if there are any comments about any of them particularly. I just wanted to go in detail in terms of the, the top eight. Um, in terms of the upper tier from 9 to 16, we've got Span the Spanish Conquistador, the Indian Varu, the Brazilian uh, Minas Gerais. I know I'm mispronouncing something somewhere along here. The Brazilian yes. pain in the rears. <laughs> uh, the Australian Digger, the Persian Immortal, the Macedonian Hippopotamus. <laughs> I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Hippopotamus. <laughs> Hippopotamus, the Macedonian yeah. Hippopotamus. No, the Hippopotamus. Hippopotamus. Uh, the Incan. Warak, I'm just going to go with that, and the Arabian Mamluk. And this is going to sound awful, but I read, ah, oh, I know the Conquistador, but it's Spain. Oh. <laughs> I, know, I know that's not... <laughs> I just... No, go ahead. Uh, no, go, no, go ahead, Candice. That's all, that's all I was going to say about the Conquistador for the moment. I'm just noticing how in the top ten... There's a surprising number of base game civs compared to what we're expecting to see where all the DLC civs are there and all the uh, expansion civs are there. But in the top eight, there are three base game civs, which is a pretty good ratio considering how the base game civs tend to be the least powerful. Are you counting the Aztecs as a base game Civ? Yeah, they're they're a free DLC, so they count as base yeah. game. Yeah, they were there at the start and they were free, so yeah, they, they definitely don't fit the the pay to win mold. Oh, I thought you had to have like the deluxe edition or whatever to get the Aztecs. You, if you had the deluxe edition oh, or if you pre-ordered, yeah. you got them three months early, but that was it. Oh, okay. If you buy the game now, you get Aztecs free. Yeah, I uh, actually have not played as any of these units in the uh, upper tier except for the Digger. And I have to say, I wasn't particularly impressed with the Digger when I played as them because uh, it was very situational. Honestly, out of the upper tier, I think the one, well, I shouldn't say the one, the two that I think are the most worthwhile mentioning are the Indian Varu and Mackie already referred to the Brazilian Unique Battleship. Oh, mm -hmm. man. Uh, <laughs> I refer to them as a pain in the ass for a reason. It, it's really it's their early arrival for the civic tree. That's just, it's 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 one of those things where in our multiplayer games and turncast, it's uh, uh, I just met Brazil. Oh oh, it's, it's okay. We're only playing Pangea. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh thank goodness we're on a Pangea. I can beat them the normal way instead of going. Oh crap! I need battleships to beat these things. Oh, it's freaking brutal because they come earlier and they also have higher combat strength and range strength on top of it. And it's because of that earlier time that they're able to, Brazil is able to construct them or upgrade into them. And then they've got that much time in terms of being on the seas and ruling it. And even if you have a fleet of battleships, 
they because of their their earlier and they can get more promotions and they have greater range strength whether they're going after your other going after your cities whether it's directly on the coast or not with their three range and that's that other thing of course the extent of the three range of the battleship they're going after your naval units they're bombarding your cities it is brutal and because of that brazil becomes an early target in my mind in a single player game or even in a multiplayer game we've got to keep brazil in check uh i probably i don't know why the fact that this is listed as upper tier as opposed to not being top tier is perhaps because for the most part when you're in combat in civilization six it's going to be on land and it's not as and it's also not like an ancient or a classical era unit but i guess i'm happy that it is as high on the list as it is i kind of feel like maybe it should be number nine on that list at the top of the upper tier because that thing is that thing is brutal yeah, I well, was honestly it's surprised the, to see the reason it's lower, in my opinion, is is twofold. One, it comes later in the game, and two, it is at least to an extent map slash situation dependent. Whereas some of these other units are either almost always useful or always useful. Yeah, I was yeah. surprised to see any naval units make either of the top two tiers. Honestly, I'm not surprised you'd have naval units in upper tier. I was pleasantly surprised to see the Jong up there in the top tier, though. Because it is a good unit. It's nice. When I have got to play as Indonesia, it's a nice one to have. Yeah, and one of the uh, annoying things about uh, naval units in particular is when you've got a good naval unit and you're playing against the AI, sometimes the AI just never builds navies. So you've got this great unit and you just never get to use it, which is probably why both of these two units are in the uh the ranged you know frigate class because well all right you don't have any naval units but you do have cities within three tiles of the coast mm-hmm. so i'm using these units i'm using these units and i'm gonna offload my really fast cavalry or like coursers or something oops was that your city i just took yeah particularly with the ai as you're saying jason they don't build navies or if they do it's underwhelming or they built it really early on and they don't maintain that they don't continue to build them they don't upgrade them they get squished very easily and then if you're thinking oh that's okay uh i'll just have my crossbowmen or i'll have my cities bombard uh actually no no you won't because they can sit three hexes out and what what is your opposition to them really ai you're in serious trouble i mean that's with battleships in general but it just happens that much more quickly and that's the result i think more frequently with brazil yeah, unless the uh, English or uh, Norway are in the game, like I swear, I see more barbarian caravels than AI uh-huh. units combined. Honestly, yeah, both caravels and frigates, and the AI does build it. They build an early quadrime and galley mix, and they never bother upgrading them. And then they get killed by the barbarian caravels, and then you never uh-huh. see an AI naval unit the rest of the game. Yeah. <laughs> AI Navy game still not strong. Better, but still not strong. I, I do currently have a game against the AIs going on where uh, uh, Phoenicia just has a butt ton of naval units floating around. So there's always exceptions. And as for my saying about mentioning the Varu, part of it is, ah, oh, but you're not like war elephants or any elephant-based unit in Civilization 4. But the thing about the Varu is like uh, what was it on the top tiered list? The um, 
Oh, it's number the same reducing unit strength. Yes, so, that, like, Phil knew exactly what. I, yeah, Phil knew exactly what I was going for. <laughs> With that respect, they so that makes so it notable. Expensive, though. It's true, but I kind of feel like that when they're they are that expensive, but the fact that they're able to reduce the combat strength of the other is almost offsetting having another one of those units because it's oh you don't have to try to fight two of my units you have you've only got one to fight but it's reducing your ability to attack the unit but yes at the same time it's oh if you're able to surround and pound the varu you know i think you need to be careful about where you're deciding to use this particular unit in order to protect it because you're probably not going to have as many because they are expensive and they don't upgrade till tanks so <laughs> yeah it's a melee unit so you want to uh probably have some good ranged units uh trying to pummel its hp down But yeah, it's a nasty unit when you when you do build it. You just you gotta put in uh, some extra time in production to get those out on the field. Now, Jason, you had mentioned that you were underwhelmed by the digger. Why? Why is that? If I recall correctly, all of the diggers bonuses were associated with um, combat on the coast or embarking. So it's, it's just one of those things where it's very map dependent, you know, same thing with the Brazilian unit. If you're playing on Pangea eh, you're just never going to get much, if any benefit from the digger. So I, it's good when you get those bonuses, but I just, I wasn't sure if that justified it being upper tier because it's so map and situation dependent. Uh, also there was a bug, I think when Australia first came out where the digger just flat out did not get its bonuses. I'm pretty sure that has been fixed. Uh, but that was also a, a huge deterrent when uh, I played them first. Because I'm like, this bonus just isn't working. Yeah, the digger does get additional combat strength on coastal tiles. Plus five combat strength outside of Australian territory. So you compare that with the infantry that it replaces. It already has a base strength of 72. Now you're going to give it 77 versus 70. It's something, but if you're fighting other infantry and units of the same class, it's kind of one of those, well, did you get a digger because you upgraded into it from a musketman? Um, I mean, it also gets additional combat strength versus anti-cavalry anti units, but when is that ever a particular concern, really? Certainly not I against guess, the AI. I guess one of the problems that I have with any like modern era unique unit is that at that point in the game, like there's so many different types of units in the field that it's, you know, any one unit kind of just gets, I feel like, uh, you know, buried. Like you've got, you know, at this point in the game, you're going to have artillery shooting at you. You're going to have, you know, if you're on the coast, you've got battleships shooting at you. You probably have got planes strafing you from overhead. So, you know, in the earlier parts of the game, you got a good melee unit. Like you're fighting other melee units. So you're getting that bonus. Whereas by the time you get to, you know, modern era and you've got like infantry and the digger, like, okay, maybe I am getting a plus five combat strength in enemy territory, but I'm getting bombarded five times from five different units. And, you know, it's, it's never feeling as strong as it probably could be. I don't know if that makes sense. I think so. And as for the conquistador, okay, I, I get it. With if you're going for a religious victory, or otherwise you're relying on religion heavily, okay, I guess I can see the conquistador there. I generally ignore religion in Civilization Six, so I'm probably not giving its due in that respect. But I'm I'm trying to evaluate it just based on the unit itself, because as the thread said, you're 
only the strength of the unit and the usefulness is compared. And I'm like, ah, oh, but the rest of it is Spain. <laughs> uh, anything else from uh, upper tier? No? All right. Uh, above average tier, we've got the Black Army for Hungary, uh, the Russian Cossack, the Viking Longship for Norway, the Vic I was going to say the Victorian, while well, that is also specifically true, but more generally, I'll just say the English Redcoat, the Polish Winged Hussar, uh, the Barbary Corsair for the Ottomans, uh, the Netherlands Unique Unit, yeah, you saw what I did there, and <laughs> <laughs> the Manda Dekalu Cavalry. I know I slightly mispronounced that, but it was a lot better than I was going to do with the Netherlands. So it is that uh, the Zeven Provincien? If it helps, Dan, I think that translates to the Seventh Provincial or something like that. So I think it's the Seven Kingdoms. Oh. Because I know that's a big thing in Dutch history. I've been playing as uh, as Hungary lately, and I do very much like the uh, Black Army. Uh, the strategy of levying city-states to just pump up your envoys with them and then getting those adjacency bonuses is uh, really, really strong. Uh, I especially love when I would um, levy a city-state and I get just free catapults or bombards, and they've got extra combat strength and plus two movement, so they can move into range of the city and then shoot. No great general needed. Fair enough. I, I guess it's with the Black Army and even with the Russian Cossack, I'm just kind of like, oh, right, you're a mounted replacement. <sighs> yeah, no, no, cavalry. Cossacks can be kind of a pain in the rear, too. Yeah, Cossacks are really good because of their attack and move. Like, that's not a thing that's around in Civ 6 typically anymore. Yeah, not without promotions anyway, like on the ranged units. Yeah. And even then, I think it's only the uh, recon units that have that. Yeah, it's it's no longer a common ability, and it's a really strong ability. So I can see why you, one would rate the Cossacks well in this environment, because you can... It, it's a major force multiplier. You can attack with far more units per turn with Cossacks than you could with ordinary cavalry in many situations. I totally get the Viking longship being above average tier and i know we talked about it can be situation dependent if you don't have a lot of water which is probably why it's not higher on the list but um you know it's higher combat strength it can pillage adjacent land tiles and capture civilian units and it can it has four movement while in coastal waters man that could be that early oof. pillage that is a big deal uh because that's good for taking out you know coastal districts and improvements and it's also great for uh barbarian hunting you don't have to send a land unit out and embark it. You just send your longship out and knock out barbarian outposts that are along the uh, coast for, you know, free gold and free era score. So Norway also still gets, um, you know, ra uh, yields from their pillaging, unlike everybody else. So that helps them a lot. Yeah, with a longship, it's about the damage you can do to somebody else through the pillaging as much as it is their ability to take cities and, of course, destroy other units in the water. 
Yeah, I don't use my longships to fight other naval units. I use my longships to (laughs) knock out infrastructure. And they're also very good at scouting. You know, you stick along the coast and, oh, hi there. And they're early on enough, it's like, okay, I need to construct more of these. And uh, so, yeah, you saw the one longship on your shore. Don't you worry, there'll be a few more arriving soon. Soon. So that, <laughs> so that makes sense. Uh, the Redcoat. First off, Redcoats, welcome back to uh, the Civ series. We hadn't seen you since Civ 4. How are you doing? Um, they do require Niter now, as of the Gathering Storm expansion. Uh, you do get additional combat strength when fighting on a continent other than the English capitals. There's no cost to disembark. And they also have additional combat strength versus anti-cavalry units. So well, as long... I only got that. Yeah, fair enough. But as as long as you are fighting on a continent other than the English capital, and no, this is not a oh, but hang on, I'm I'm on a separate landmass, so it's a separate continent, right? Well, you better have a look at the map first and the little overlay there to make sure that it's in fact a different continent. But <laughs> other than that little quirk, they're fantastic. They're very good. They're fantastic. I get why they're where they are in this list. Except, of course, it feels like uh, England and all of its uniques change every five minutes, so <laughs> that's prone to change. So what you're saying is the English are adaptable, Jason. Oh, there you go. They embrace yeah, sure. change. We can put it that way. <laughs> I'm just saying, it feels like every patch that comes out, like England has a new ability and their unique <laughs> completely changed, so. I want to make comments, but not politicast. <laughs> <laughs> no politicast. Please. No, no, no politicast happening. But, oh. <laughs> anyway. But it's fun. <laughs> it is fun to troll. Ah, the wing to Sar, man. Pushing back enemies if it does more damage than it does when attacking. That is. We're so good for defense in that respect. I'm not saying they're not good for offense, too, but it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you think you're on my border? You're right against my city? No, I don't think so. It's like, wait, I just took damage, and you pushed me back? I love that ability. I mean, that was first in Civ Five, right? They could do that in Civ Five as well, and it was nice to see it back in Civ Six. And so for that, just that itself, it's, it's almost like the troll unit. I find it very trolly, but in a good way. You struck fear. You struck fear into the units and it, and it pushed them back after a successful attack. Sure. We'll, we'll go with that, that it struck fear rather than it just struck them. <laughs> well, you, <laughs> you strike somebody, you are striking fear into them, even if it's just fleeting. You took them by surprise, maybe. It's not necessarily true. No, not necessarily true, but it's not necessarily not true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> see how it is. <laughs> so I was thinking, oh, I should have been absent for this episode. Dan's back. Why? Um, <laughs> yeah, I can appreciate some good trolling. Not. <laughs> I regret nothing, as usual. Um, as for the Barbary Corsair, it's not that I dislike them. It's just you're kind of overshadowed by. The Janissary. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. I like Privateers. I will probably very much enjoy the Barbary Corsair once I get around to playing as the Autumn. 
Okay, uh, for the Netherlands, I think we're saying the translation was the Seven Kingdoms. The Seven Somethings. Seven Somethings. Another frigate replacement. And frigates themselves being very good. Uh, again, presuming you've got a map for it, so I understand them being on uh, this particular list. It does have a higher uh, combat strength and range strength, and it does receive a uh, attack bonus when attacking defensible districts. So it's one of those, I'm not going to play the Netherlands because they're there, but if I'm playing the Netherlands, I will play them because they're... Let, let me rephrase what, I, what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I just realized I'm repeating oh my. myself. Oops. Oops. It's not, I want to play the Netherlands because they're there, but if I'm playing the Netherlands, I'm happy that they are. You know, I'm not going to go out of my way to choose a different Civ, uh, or excuse me, choose the Netherlands instead of another Civ because they're there. But yeah. they're they're good and they're they're definitely above average. So the fact that they're well on the above average tier makes sense to me. It's just kind of one of those again, very map situational dependent. On how often are you going to be able to use this? And it's one of those things where hey, look at this. We're on an we're on a map that's got lots and lots of water. Ah, crap! All the AI settled like three hexes in or more. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> Why? Because they can. <laughs> because it was a Pangea. And then we've got the uh, Mendicalu. How close was I to the pronunciation? Closer close. than some other ones. Closer than some other ones. Very. And anyway, certainly <laughs> <laughs> less bad. Um. So the unique unit for the uh, Mali. It is a knight replacement. I mean, yes, there's higher combat strength, but that's very negligible. Prevents friendly traders within four tiles from being plundered as long as they are on a land tile. Provides gold equal to 100% of the base combat strength of each defeated enemy unit is my favorite part of that because of just how awesome gold is in this game into translating into almost anything you want to do. I killed a 40 strength knight. I now have 40 more gold. Yawn. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in and of itself, yeah, your your one successful combat is not going to make you rich. But, you know, it's just nice that it also pays for itself. And not just in combat, but it actually generates some gold for you. And we do not need to go over the rest of these units because they're all below average. Okay, I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first half of the list. Those were the, the, the good things on the list. Um, Unless although anyone I, sees anything on there that they feel are maybe uh, underappreciated or undervalued. Not really. Uh, no. No. It's, uh, I might compare it to some previous Civ games. I, I sometimes think, oh, Samurai. Oh, Keshik. Oh, MP. Why? 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 Well, Egypt's archers can qualify as a pain in the ass, but they're probably in the right tier. I mean, they're good at a certain point, but then later, meh. They're good in the early game, which is the best certain point to be good. But they don't upgrade well. Who cares? They're good immediately. It's all about the short-term gratification. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that the, the Sokka horse archer can be a pain to deal with, but that has more to do with Scythia's abilities than the unit itself. Yeah. Yeah, the Sokka Horse Archer on the bottom tier, 42nd out of 48 on this list. That, that, yeah, that's more about them just, oh, wait, there's two of you instead of one? 
Oh, what did they upgrade into? And, and they heal whenever they kill an enemy unit. I think they upgrade into a horseman. Okay, yeah, that's why they're bad then. Um, it's been a while since I played them. Chicken. If they um, oh. if they upgraded down the archery path, they would actually be a good unit. Yeah. No. Oh, instead of crossbow, and they upgrade to field cannon. The soccer horse archers do. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I think they're considered a ranged unit, and I think they get the ranged promotions. Okay. In that case, they're not bad. I wouldn't put them that low. Except for not getting an upgrade until field cannons. Yeah, but they're mobile. And they have the same, like, once you have two-shot promotion on them, you can hit with them and then move out of the way and hit with other things, too. So they're uh, they're going to be free hits into the medieval era and could pay for themselves as pillagers as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot the of utility unit. there. They're not top tier, but th- they don't belong down there. Yeah, that's the only unit that I saw in the the lower list that I thought, eh, I don't know about that. Good eye, Jason. They're good eye, and and in addition to them being so good themselves, again with Scythia's ability to train two of them at a time. Um, yeah, they've only got a one range attack. Well, that's okay. As Phil said, you attack with one spam, and then you move spam, in the next. Spam, 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 spam. <laughs> exactly yeah, right. Taking damage, they heal. You know, I I don't remember if it's 50 or if they nerfed it to 30, but they heal hit points every time they kill a unit, and that's all Scythian units. So whether you're healing the Sokka horse archers or you're using the horse archers to lower the HP of an enemy unit so that another unit can attack it and heal, uh, your army is like almost always at full strength. Yeah, you heal up to 30 points after killing a unit, so it just allows them to keep going. Like the, they can be the energizer bunny of unique units. Keeps going and going and going. Now, see, I already got Kmart to not sponsor the show. I'm trying to get Energizer to sponsor the show instead to make up for it. Yeah. Because we keep going and going and going. Speaking of which. That's what I think of your joke. You thought it was so good, so good that it should end the segment because that should be the last thing people remember. Why, thank you, Canis. I, I appreciate that support. I don't know. Speaking of support. Speaking of support, people still support Alpha Centauri 20 years after launch as being probably the best 4X game in space. That's uh, actually quite the claim because if you're... <laughs> Like, yeah. There have been as many great space games recently, but throughout gaming history, there's been I, quite a few good ones. So I don't know about this. Yeah, I, 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 I read through this. I see where he's coming. The author is coming from on the terms of the experience of it is probably one of the the story experience of it is probably one of the better ones. We all remember Yang and Deidre, the, the faction leaders, very strongly. Whereas when you get into Civ and you have 20 different Civs and unless somebody really stands out, you don't remember them. And it's like that when you play other things like Endless Space, like the newer Endless Space, Endless Space 2, has a bit more of the story thing that makes me think of Alpha Centauri. It's still not quite there. There's Age of Wonders Planetfall that I've seen, that I've watched uh, uh, live streams of people playing. That's a little bit closer probably partly because it's on more of a normal on the ground map as opposed to <clears throat> endless space being all out in the main space you know you're not dealing with planet level stuff necessarily 
but it has stronger personalities as the faction leaders. And when you go through its t- different types of tech and civics trees, they have that quotes type of thing from fictional background characters that's more like Alpha Centauri. So, it- I know, and uh, it totally made sense to me why Candace gave Mackie this topic introduced because she is our resident smack expert <laughs> and always has been because she's played it more, I think, than maybe even the rest of us on this panel combined. I played it a fair amount, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how much <laughs> Mackie played it. Quite a bit. I, yeah, pro- maybe, yeah, but there's people who have played even tons more than I have. So, well, apparently, that's true in anything. It, so, there's people with more than double my hours in EU4. <laughs> and I have 6,000 hours in EU4. <laughs> so, yeah, there's probably someone out there who's and played they probably think Phil's amateur for only 6,000. What, you're not five digit level yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's the thing there, right? There are probably some people listening saying, how come we don't know how many hours you played? Just go and check your Steam stats. You see kids. This game came out in 1999, <laughs> and there was no Steam. Back when we were smart not to document how many hours we played a game. <laughs> there are sometimes <laughs> I look at it, it's like, did I need to know how many hours I spent playing? You know, probably better I don't know. You mean Spe- you don't put that on your resumes when you apply for jobs? <laughs> I thought for sure. <laughs> I'm putting this on my resume. I don't have to call in sick. You'll know why I'm not here. Vacation, dang it! It took me over a hundred hours of playing Skyrim to finally get around to killing Alduin. <laughs> Only a hundred. Yeah. Well, it was over a hundred, but I'm not. I I don't know. It's like 130 something. And Skyrim is one of those games where your employer might even the interviewer might say <laughs> only a hundred. I don't know. I don't know if we can hire. Uh, yeah, I'm not seeing He's much commitment here. <laughs> oh, sorry. I haven't gotten to the 200 mark I have with the, two of the Mass Effect games. What do I have on New? No, no. I don't need to go look up what I have on New Vegas. <laughs> oh dear. <That's, laughs> anyway, but. There are still things that Alpha Centauri did, like, I, you know, I was giving an example of how it creates a story behind the gameplay and draws you into that story told through little snippets in the log things and the responses that the characters will give to you. And another point that he was making is that the leaders, in a sense, are somewhat predictable. You, you know what their agenda is. Although there is a, a way to set up in the game, you can mix their agendas up. You could actually have a tree, tree worshiping. Tree worshiping. <laughs> Yang, if the game decided to really mix it up, you know, you could you could get some variety in that so they weren't so predictable. But part of the strength of their character is the fact you know the guys are going to get ticked if you start uh, abusing planet, and that Yang won't be happy unless you're a dictatorship, you know. And you don't quite have that level of flavor in other modern forex type things. I am really surprised that there has not been like an HD remaster of Alpha Centauri yet, or at least I well, haven't seen one. They were, it, they were on that path kind of with Beyond Earth, but that didn't go out quite the way they planned. No, I mean, I mean, just a flat out like remaster like, of the original game. I think that has to do with rights because yeah, it probably does. It's yeah, I, mean, I think EA actually owns the rights, even though it was created oh by God. people. Yeah. Yes, they do. They still there, own the there's rights. Definitely a market for that sort of thing because there's been HD remasters for like Age of Empires and Command and Conquer. So, I mean, EA's sitting on a gold mine with this property, and I cannot <laughs> believe they're not doing anything with it. Uh, yeah, as many people that still love it, still play it. The, the, another thing that this game did that still don't let you do in a lot in 4X games, a lot of things, is terraforming. 
I mean, there's in, in fantasy-based games, they'll let you have terraforming, but anything that's more real-world, air quote, no. Unless you get to a super late game, you didn't get terraforming. I think Call to Power let you do a little bit near the end game and go into actual space and have, like, Moon Colony or something. And but Yeah. If you're talk- and if you're talking baseline civilization, I think the last time we saw that was, what, Civ 2? Or you could terraform? Mm-hmm. And that was, of course, very late game because that would be a very late game thing that you'd be able to, quote-unquote, realistically do. I feel like the other thing that Alpha Centauri did well from the little that I played it and also what I did not see in Civilization Beyond Earth, because I was kind of hoping with Civilization Beyond Earth that it would make uh, me want yes. to, to to play Alpha Centauri again. And the, the article touched upon it very briefly, but in addition to the factions, and this is, you can talk about Alpha Centauri without comparison it to Beyond Earth at all, and the factions in Beyond Earth were okay, but then when you compare them to Alpha Centauri, it's, oh, they're not even okay anymore. The thing that I think also stands out that I think is, again, not really touched upon as much in this article as it should be, is that planet itself is a character. Particularly when you look at civilization mm-hmm. beyond Earth, the aliens are so very quickly not a problem. And if you do that in Alpha Centauri, you're, you're well, I guess you're going to start many games because you're not going to live very long. <laughs> <laughs> planet has a mind of its own. It will do the outgrowths and does its fungal bloom burst. And the further you get in the trek to tech tree and the further you get close to really being able to get in tune with the mind of planet it still does that it still it starts reacting with strong it's like whoa whoa what is this you're an infestation get off me you have to say that Civ six has started going a little bit in that direction with the uh, the environmental and disaster and global warming mechanics of uh yeah, yeah, storm. you can legitimately get in a war with somebody because they're polluting too much and they're drowning yeah, your people well, and just that the planet reacts, you know, to yeah. your activities. So it, in, even in, in Civ Six, you know, the planet feels more like a character than it did in Beyond Earth. And that was supposed to be part of the point of Beyond Earth. And they just, it, you know, they flopped yeah. in that regard. They probably didn't want to copy the idea of there being some sort of overmind controlling the planet. But it sometimes felt more like generic planet with weird alien stuff than... I yeah, they know. probably had That's to pretty much what it was. Line, <laughs> yes, they probably could have opened themselves up to lawsuits if they did something yes. that close to Alpha Centauri. But yes, certainly it felt and beyond Earth that the planet you, you you landed on didn't have the character. The aliens had the character, but the character of the aliens faltered as compared to planet and even in and of itself in Civilization Beyond Earth. It was. Well, you're more, you're pretty well guaranteed. Just kill all the aliens, and then the aliens are no longer a problem. And you just, you don't, you don't think about it anymore. They go away like the barbarians eventually, yeah, mostly not, in civilization. Not, they're, they're supposed not, to be there for the entire time. Yeah, not like that in Alpha Centauri, which is like even when you were further down the tech tree, when you're getting that late game and planets having soul outburst, it could still be a problem because it would spawn like the highest level versions of units. And even if you had the Psytrance stuff that was supposed to help against anything that was mind bending, it could still eat your face. <laughs> well, it sounds like a new genre of music, Psytrance. What? <laughs> also, also, just the acknowledgement meant, what, it's been 20 years since Alpha Centaur was released? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. there was this other millennium before this one it started with a 19 instead of a 20 and don't remind me it's been so long 
EA, EA HD remaster of Alpha Centauri. Come on, get on it. Now even, just a version that would even just a version that would cooperate with a regular widescreen because I, I've had trouble on different computers trying to get the fan patches to make it work. <laughs> also available on Blu-ray. What? <laughs> I thought it was on Betamax. <laughs> oh, man. Another example of where marketing <laughs> wins over superior, superior technology. But anyway. <laughs> so, uh, According to the fanatics, I do not know if this survey is still going on. It doesn't say that it's stopped, but there it has, has stopped. It has stopped. Okay, it has there stopped. Was, it is no longer accepting responses. There was an official survey for for Civ Six by UK, which basically was a, a fishing expedition to see whether or not people would accept a Paradox type DLC model. <laughs> because it, it asked for the basic oh, basic no. stuff that you always ask about what games do you own what types of games do you play which one's your favorite mm-hmm. and then it gave a list of like 15 to 30 questions that were all different iterations of monthly weekly half year or uh annually yeah patches new content new dlcs new everything and it would put all these things together in different orientations, trying to get you, trying to trick you into figuring out which version you actually preferred, whether you wanted little stuff frequently or big stuff infrequently. Yeah, if I recall correctly, it had you rank. It was on the premise that you would be willing to pay for any of these things. It's just which would you be more willing to pay for on the frequency that Canis just said. And one of the ones that jumped out at me I am certain at one point I saw as part of a DLC model new mechanics, like just mechanics in and of itself. Yeah, new mechanics uh, weekly. And I went, uh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. No. <laughs> no. Uh, new mechanics full stop, whether it was free or not in weekly, is no. <laughs> I, I feel like even the, um, that would the annual impressive. release model is, is problematic. And, and as a callback to the earlier topic, you know, I, I kind of feel like that's part of the reason we didn't get a world builder earlier because they had to, you know, I, I'm sure that had more to do with uh, with the publishers, you know, uh, release schedule than you know with anything else going on because the the 2K is probably like, no, you got to release a, an expansion every year, and you know because they had to work on full expansions, they didn't have time to put in a world builder until you know after the second expansion hit. And we don't we don't have time right now because we have to make an expansion, and you probably want these to be a bit more user friendly than what we use around the office. All right, guys, what new mechanic are we using this week? <laughs> oh, dude! And, and it's it's frustrating because I actually had just I, I posted a video recently comparing City Skylines expansion model to Civilizations, and I I use Civilization as a positive example of look, these guys make whole expansion packs that you know change the entire game. They're not just adding a new feature here and there and whether or not it fits in with the rest of the game you know be damned so i really do not want to see civilization fall uh into that kind of release model where they're just constantly putting in new little things and oh maybe it breaks the game maybe it doesn't you know who knows is old stuff going to become obsolete and nobody uses it anymore is uh it's it's so terrible like what they're doing now is fine you know i could even say go two years between expansion packs and you know put more in it, make them better, you know, test them a little bit more thoroughly. Uh, <laughs> no, don't, don't add one mechanic every month. 
that's have, not the way to go. We've definitely seen a different approach to new content for a Civ title in Civilization VI, where Civ VI is closer to, say, a Civilization IV than Civilization V was. Because, yes, we got two expansion packs for Civilization V, but there was all these other DLC packs in between, scattered throughout. We've not really seen as we don't see as much of that with regards to Civ VI. And now this survey set up the premise that, by the way, there is going to be DLC, downloadable content, i.e. not necessarily expansion packs. So what do you want in the DLC? And based on the responses in this thread, depending upon what you put, I think, Candice, you had it in your introduction as well, that you didn't always get the same combination of questions in the same order as everybody else because it was trying to fine-tune, okay, what would you be willing to pay for weekly then if you're not willing to pay for this weekly? How about this? How about that? How about this? How about that? While changing the order of the other things too. And I thought, does this survey have an end? Does it just say it's take my money? I, I you know, I I don't know. So survey says, please tell us the thing you would pay for weekly so we can have a cash cow, please. I Let am also this way, 2K. Yeah. I stopped I was loving Stellaris and I stopped playing it because Paradox kept changing stuff. And A, the new changes weren't compatible with old save files. So I literally had to restart the game a game like every other week because a new patch would break my old saves. Oof. And I just did not like the mechanical changes. I stopped playing that game because Paradox was doing this stuff. So please don't do it to Civ. I mean, the survey, if I recall, it made no uh, reference to, first off, how long the survey was going to be. And so it was the beginning of this month in August that it was available. And it looks like it was available for a couple of weeks and no more. And 2K also didn't say, oh, we'll, we'll follow up or we'll, we'll probably never hear anything about this publicly about the results. We'll just kind of see the results when civil as civilization goes forward, whether it's Civ 6, Civ 7, a.k.a. Humankind, ha, huh, kidding, <laughs> or whatever. Loot boxes. There were no loot box questions. Let's not gaslight the crew. That's true. Okay. Fortunately, fortunately, there was not that. No, no. <laughs> okay, good, good. Because that was going to be like, what? They haven't figured out how to work it into a turn-based strategy model yet, but don't worry. They'll find a way. Eventually. <laughs> Unfortunately. Joel. I mean, I mean, if you guys want to, they want to release weekly, you know, DLC that changes the leader's uniform. Uh, you know, fine. If that's, if that's, <laughs> if, that, if that's your thing, you'll go for it. Cosmetic changes. Sure. Give fine. us a, a release at Halloween that everything looks spooky for a month or something. But no, actual gameplay changes, rule changes, hell no. No, must have a new mechanic every week. <laughs> okay. You don't kill a unit every turn, your units turn into pumpkins. Don't be like uh, some games that uh, give do those special promotion things at, at seasons and then take away the content after it's over. Give us the tick box that says, hey, can we play like it's Halloween all the time? Yes. Because that can't hurt anything. It's just a single tick box. You already did the work. Might as well keep it. Yes, we would like to purchase to own the DLC, not to lease it. Not purchase to lease it or oh, license it. Games of service, guys. Let's do games of service. How cute, thanks, Do you think you own the things you buy? <laughs> so silly. Oh. Something, something, <laughs> sweet summer child. Oh, Jason obviously didn't read his contract when he joined Polycast. Oh, don't tell him. No, don't, don't point it out to anyone. No, no, won't tell him. What? 
Uh-huh. So you reminded me of the, the, the Google thing where they want you to stream all your games. Well, that's where the industry's moving. They'll get there eventually. I, I hope that the doormat market doesn't sink that low. I hope not. not that low. <laughs> well, uh, consumers already engage in flagrant anti-consumer practices fairly routinely. But as of so far, they haven't quite sunk that low yet. So we'll see. They they keep inching closer though. Yeah, they're trying. Yeah, I'm sure. And then they can just screw you over like YouTube does. Wow, that would that would get it ranked even lower than the P51 Mustang on the whoops <laughs> last thread. Yeah, that was not intentional. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's that's okay. Phil, <laughs> go go go. <laughs> Run with it. No, no, no words on it. I pushed the button. I pushed the button during the pause, and then there wasn't a pause anymore. I was like, "Uh oh." <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! What live stream fails? Live stream fails, indeed. Oh no! What's going to happen is between this episode and the next episode, the regular hosts are going to work on their hand signals, and then it'll be fine after that. Yeah, see, but that would require us to actually use video, which is never happening. <laughs> Back what are you talking about? We're using video now. <laughs> I want to. I was expecting someone to say, Dan, we've been using head signals for a while. When you were around, you just didn't know. Oh, I see how it is. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it stopped again. Why did it do that? <laughs> I like, I also, Polytest tradition, technical difficulties. I was going to say, in multi- hey, in multiplayer, you can unend your Dan. You can unend the closing. It's fine. But that was your age. this is fun go ahead phil (laughs) no why did it stop again what will never ever end because my name is on another page (laughs) oh (laughs) oh Oh my goodness okay fine 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 thank you for joining us for polycast episode 344 i'm the bean team and today i was joined by candace albinus why is it not working? Ah! Makalua. I don't know why. I do know I need caffeine again. <laughs> Mega Bears fan? No game publishers. I am not a whale. And guest, <laughs> co-host, question mark, Dan Q. <laughs> to the moon and back. Or Alpha Centauri, whichever is closer. Moon is so closer to Alpha Centauri. No, Phil. Sadly, yes, no, a- Phil. Good thing. <laughs> Some, yes, no, Phil. Some things never change. <laughs> are we going to go with the yes now? Yes. Okay. Civilization 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6 content copyrights for Axis and Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the polycast at thepolycast.net.